Hey everybody, welcome to We've Got the Beat, the podcast devoted to 80s entertainment for teens and beyond. I still screwed it up. Oh, I had two in a row. <laughs> two in a row. This is a fucking gold mine. It's not entertainment for teens. It's not. I fucked it up immediately. Like, <clears throat> all right. Hi everybody, welcome to We've Got the Beat, the podcast devoted to teen entertainment from the 80s and beyond. Oh, that's how you fucking do it, you idiot. <laughs> I thought that one was pretty good. It was be- if it wasn't laughing during it, yes. Uh, so this episode we're discussing, uh, ladies and gentlemen, the fabulous Stains and the Runaways. I'm your host, Michael, and my co-host on the other side who tolerates my existence is my sister, Mindy. Or Grumpy McGrumpy Pants. <laughs> All right. This is going to be a great episode. Um, also, I can hear myself so much, it's distracting. Oh, really? Okay, then I'll turn you away. How about now? Oh, goody. How about and now? And my dog is barking. Okay. No. I can still hear myself. Oh, darn it. Okay, well, let's just keep going anyway. Um... So this episode, like I said, is uh, focused on two movies that are kind of uh, about the beginnings of girl, girl rock. If you have no idea what I mean, you probably weren't a, you weren't around during the whole teenage girl riot thing of the early two thousands. If you want, I guess that's the era. Like where it really broke out was what with um, Avril Lavigne. I would say is that when it's that scene really broke. But uh, this is kind of establishing the grounds of it decades earlier. <laughs> and um i'll say this uh my sister knows that i'm a big fan of this genre uh so i'm not like you know wandering into waters that i don't know uh sahara hot nights one of the greatest bands of all time that no one's ever heard of damone um try, uh, of course the, the classics go go blondie uh oh say ferris there in the 90s uh it's, it's a genre that keeps bouncing in and out uh, of popularity and it's kind of strange how like there's just these booms and bursts like I think No Doubt was a big part of that too yeah for sure also what was the name of that like Norwegian band that we liked oh The Sounds I love The Sounds, the sounds. Yeah. thank you um, but it, it basically I'm trying to think are there girl rockers before the Runaways I cannot think of any there has to have been somebody yeah, I don't really know. I mean, just the people that they reference uh, in the movie itself, and it was really like Susie Quattro, I think, but I I'm not really familiar with her, honestly. Yeah, she, I know her only from her appearances on Happy Days. I can't remember the character she played, but it's the, before the glam era. That's really, maybe if you count um, uh, uh, Jefferson Airplane, maybe. Um, yeah. Because right at this time, when the Runaways blow up, is when you're getting all that, you know, Susie Quattro and, and uh, Hart. And then. When uh, did, like, Susie and the Banshees come in? That, that's more early 80s, mid 80s. Okay, that's what I thought. Yeah, and then that's what, like, when the dam kind of broke, is when you got Blondie and the Go Go's, the Bangles, yeah. uh, Banana Rama, and stuff like that. And there's, there's other ones mixed in, in there. Of course, Joan Jett going on her own. And the Runaways really tracks that early history. Uh, well, frankly, honestly, not the early history, the whole history of the Runaways, because they were only around for what three years. Yeah, I mean, I think the movie itself, while there isn't too much of it that's like false, uh, I think that they really compacted some of that. Uh, they made it kind of seem like it happened in like six months to a year, but they definitely, you know recorded albums and did some stuff 
even though there was a few members that, you know, left and then new one came in during that time that, uh, yeah, it was, they did a lot for in a three year period, but didn't quite, uh, indicate it was hard to see the time frame, I guess, in the movie. Yeah. Well, with this one, it's based on Sherry Curry's book. So it's right. all from her time uh, with right. the band because, if I remember correctly, she's only with them. But have you read it? No, I have not. Have you? Yeah, I read it before the movie came out, actually. Oh, wow. Like recently or way back in the day? No, before the movie came out. Oh, before the originally. movie came out. Sorry, sorry. No, um, that's okay. I thought you meant before we were, we were watching the no, movie. No, I watched it, I mean, whatever year that was when it came out, I read it just because I was really curious. And honestly, I mean... There's obviously some liberties, but you know, it did a lot of a lot of stuff was accurate. A lot of the stuff about her like sister and family were kind of cut, but that makes sense. Yeah, it. Uh, so yeah, it just it's the two albums that she's on in their you know initial launch as a band. They don't really go into after. I mean, they, Joan Jett became their lead singer after she left. Uh, right. and they, they skip all of it that's the weirdest thing in the movie is that they have that moment where she's like well you could be the star you can right. be the lead singer but they they pretend like she immediately went from that idea to doing her solo stuff when it was actually like three years later yeah so it, it is compressed a bit but it focuses heavily just on their relationship uh yeah uh, joan jett and sherry curry sherry curry uh, played by Kristen Stewart and Dakota Fanning, and I think both are incredibly good. The the shit they are, especially the 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 shit that Kristen Stewart got for so many years from Twilight. I think it's yeah. finally faded away. She's proven herself enough times. Um, and I, someone explained to me the Twilight franchise the other day, and I thought they were tripping on acid. It was the most insane thing I've ever heard. I don't think I'm ever gonna watch that franchise. Um. <laughs> It's but, uh, it's something special. Yeah, she worked very, very hard to get rid of that image, and I think this was the first time, right? Wasn't this in the middle of the whole Twilight, like between like? Yeah, two and three? I think this was her first movie, uh, separate from the the Twilight thing, uh, and clearly, you know, she she was you know, writing the success of the first or first or the first few twilight movies to get this more buzz um especially because i mean some would debate that you know that really dakota fanning is the star right but but she was kristen stewart was a slightly bigger name because of twilight so anyway um also, I read that it partially focused on the two of them more because, like, Lita Ford and I don't know who else, Jackie Fox, whoever remained, you know, other members of the band wouldn't wouldn't sign off. They wouldn't give them the right to, you know, really delve into their stories. So they could only do it kind of peripherally right. for well, the, the other band members. And I can't imagine Lita Ford would want to because in this movie she's portrayed as a pain in the fucking ass. Well. Maybe she was. Maybe. But she also, I kind of understand where she's coming from. Think of that all that frustration from her not cooperating, Sherry Curry, not cooperating. You're yeah. trying to get a career lost. You're serious about your career in, in, in the music industry and you got this kid fucking it up for you. I, I, I kind well, of see where I mean, she's coming from. Also, they were all like 15, 16 year old 
16 years old and it was all just a lot in a short period of time especially for Sherry Curie because she wasn't like oh I want to be in a band she you know she just got plucked out of like a, you know randomness by chance oh yeah because she was doing she wasn't even singing she was doing lip syncing no. at contests I mean she just yeah I mean she was just like found in a club or whatever he just liked according to the movie he just liked her look yeah and and hoped that she could sing and a lot of this is on Michael Shannon's shoulders because he's the guy uh, Kim Fowley uh, who put the band together and has a long history of extremely questionable behavior and uh, thank God he's dead <laughs> because uh, he can't terrorize anybody else um yeah he was really bad to them well did you look into his history he he they've said that he's sexually assaulted a lot of the teenage girls i'm not even a, i'm not even a little bit surprised at that information yeah that's but he pushes and pushes and pushes and he taunts them especially towards the end he's just like fuck yes. you guys and apparently after this he became a musician again he was a musician before this in the 60s have you ever heard that uh, what's that? They're coming to take me away. Ha ha. They're coming to take me away. He he. Ho ho. Ha ha. You heard that one, Hit Wonder? Uh, I think so, yeah. That's him. Hmm. And he would constantly find his way through all these one-hit wonders through the years until he hit the runaways. And then after that, again, he went out on his own and had some hits. He's a very strange cat who somehow... Did I use the word fucking cat? What the fuck? I'm going to pretend that didn't happen. I was going to let it go, man. Okay. <laughs> but I just can't believe people would want to work with this guy. It's so strange. I, get, I, I think that partially in that time period, everyone was kind of strange. You know, especially if you're artistic. It's almost like it's expected. I guess. You know, but then when you add in all the, like, drugs and the hippie lifestyle, you know, just all the, like, different contributing factors uh and also just like why were you know 15 year olds allowed to run around with this creepy ass grown man i don't know it's all i mean is it this that's the 70s man yeah, I, don't I feel know. like that was a regular thing where teens were just left to their own device and yeah. people are like, oh, back in my day, we weren't helicopter cops. Yeah, you didn't even know where your fucking kids were. You didn't care because you just thought that they were a nuisance. You went out of your own life. <sighs> yeah, I don't know. I have a, a friend at work who's, you know, older. And when I was reading this book, she was saying how in that time period, you know, the late, mid to late 70s, like early 80s, whatever, she lived in L.A. area and remembered so many of the places that were referenced in the book and like hitchhiking around the city and to go to all these places when she was like a teenager. And I was just like, Oh my God, <laughs> just like, how are you not dead? Yeah. Sounds, sounds so scary. But there's, but because their lives were the way they were, they're all from basically troubled homes or homes yeah. where the parents just didn't pay attention to like this one. I, I didn't even know it was Tatum O'Neill was her mother. Did you yeah. did you know that yeah. at the time or did you okay I didn't even notice, um, but 
And, you know, I because they just ignored her, basically. She was left to her own device, and they just, they glommed together. But it also, I think it helped the rawness of the music. Yeah. Yes, Kim Fowley uh, pushed them, but it was in them in the first place. Yeah, I mean, he, I don't think, I mean, I don't know that he could really take credit for, like, writing that those songs and stuff. He maybe pushed them some, but... Mostly, it seems like that was, you know, mostly Joan doing all that work and coming up with all that stuff. Yeah, I'm kind of surprised. This is no knock on her at all. But a lot of her songs that were successful were covers. I was, I was uh-huh. so surprised because I always thought I Love Rock and Roll was hers, but it wasn't. It was a cover. Oh. Um, Crimson Clover was a cover. Do You Want to Touch yeah. Me, which is by Gary Glitter. Light of Day mm. was by Bruce Springsteen. I think the only big hit of hers that, well, no, there's two that were hers, were Bad Reputation and I Hate Myself for Loving You. Yeah. But she just, she's one of the first. Her and Pat Benatar were the first that MTV era kick-ass rock and roll icons for the next two generations of rock and roll. They're so cool. They are. Not a whole lot to say about this movie. I think it's a really good biography. Um, it I prefer biographies that are what do you call them? When they're just a small segment of time. They're not full biographies. They're um... yeah. I, I don't know exactly what the technical term is for that. It's just uh, well, we always call it like a slice of life or no. whatever. A memoir. Think... A memoir is uh, oh, usually when it's a part, just a certain chunk, right? I don't know. Um, but I Sorry. When they try to cram someone's entire life into a movie sometimes, I'm like, well, you fast forward over all this to fit it into two hours. you know. And sometimes I like it when it's just that little chunk uh, that was critical to some, you know, a person's career or their life. Mm-hmm. Uh, barely released um, from a company called Apparition, which were only around for a little while. I think <laughs> this and Boondock Saints 2 are like the only... <laughs> Oh, Black Dynamite. They only released like six movies. And they all tanked, sadly. Uh, this was the biggest hit of the bunch, I believe, with four and a half million. Kind of a bummer. I've seen all those movies you mentioned. Yeah, well, that's not all. So all the movies they did were Black Dynamite, Boondock Saints 2, Bright Star, which I've never heard of, Young Victoria, never heard of it. Uh, then The Runaways, Spider, and The Square. I, I, nothing. I got nothing on those two. Okay, never mind. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> um, I enjoyed Black Dynamite. Dynamite, Dynamite. I heard he's got a side note. Uh, he's got a western coming up soon. It's a it's a semi sequel to Black Dynamite. Oh, that's cool. All right, so our second film. Do you if you're ready to move on to the second one? Uh, I I think so. I mean, just like this is a good movie. It's really I think impressive acting. That's that's rests mostly on young women. Um, you know, some of them. You know, Kristen Stewart got most of the credit mm-hmm. and attention for obvious reasons, um, and Michael Shannon is just just delightfully horrifying. <laughs> um, but it's a. I mean, they're all really good, and it is a really good movie. Uh, but it is also not, I mean, it's not an uplifting film. It's pre- it, it makes me kind of sad. You know, um, 
The one thing it does uh, skip around, which I'm, I was glad, is ever since you, you, you know, what's what's that movie with um the parody of biographies? He's a country star. Uh, Walk Hard. Uh, yeah. Ever since that movie, they kind of laid out the cliches, and thank God Runaway skips around a lot of that. Like, oh, look, yeah. we're going to meet this famous person, and this famous person, and this one's oh. going to accidentally name one of your hit songs. Um, oh, you know, sure. or, or she's kissing, jo- or someone's kissing Joan Jett and go, I hate myself for loving you, and all of a sudden, bust, spark of idea. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I yeah. hate that in those cheap fucking biographies. Um, yeah, they didn't do any of those, like, a, a, much of the like montage stuff that you see a lot yeah which, which was uh, good it made it less hokey yeah i forgot that sherry curry was in foxes which yes. we did on one of our very first episodes i told her about that yeah i think she might have done a couple of movies and then i know she had a couple of albums like with her sister her sister who was just in the movie a tiny bit although i think she kind of played more of a role in yeah. runaways than they than they say but anyway well it's she tried some stuff but you know what she does now what what as an adult like after she got past all this stuff and gave up on hollywood and she is a chainsaw artist oh making sculptures cool like tiki's yes she that's what she does now i think in southern california yeah Uh, i didn't i didn't know that joan jett could not get her music to any label whatsoever, even though she was already established with the Runaways, and then she had to put it out herself. And she's had yeah. her own label this whole time, and then she would uh, distribute some of Cherry, Sherry Curry's um, albums over the last few decades. Oh, that's cool. Good yeah. for her. You know, I mean, that's a, she's that's a pretty unique thing, and you know, good for her that she could do it her way and still be successful. Yeah. Um, ladies and gentlemen, the fabulous Stains takes a kind of similar concept, children from broken homes, or they're just ignored and, you know, trying to make their way in, in, in the guidance of, you know, a established musician where like Kim Fowley in this one, uh, in the first movie or whatever, if you split him into two different pieces, you have the Ray Winstone character, the guy who's already established in the industry. And then you have... Uh, the greasy sleazeball, which is the the glam guy who's past his prime, who's headlining the concert in the first place. I thought that mm-hmm. was interesting. Um, God, baby Ray Winstone is actually kind of attractive I mean, when he was younger. I, I, that's what I was gonna say. I was like, he was capable of being attractive. It was also forty years ago. Yeah, uh, he if he's singing those songs, I'm impressed. I thought all of the music in this was great. Uh, I don't know. Well, I kind of want to look it up now and see because I really thought that they were actually enjoyable as a band. That's for 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 sure. Whatever the band that he had, uh, the Looters. And I was one of the people in his band was like, oh, Paul Cook was he? He's from like. Um, I'm looking here. It says the Sex Pistols. So we have have the Sex Pistols, the Clash, and the Tubes. Okay, Uh, that's what I was trying to remember. And one of those guys, I forget which one I was reading, that one of those guys uh, gave a rather serious talk to Laura Dern about the effects of, of partying, and thus she even though could have gotten access to it pretty easily, never, like, did drugs or anything. 
Yeah, well, in the movie itself gives you a big yeah. look at how it can destroy a career because the band they start off with, uh, the glam guys, who look like they were maybe one-hit wonders, you know, eight years earlier, have, yeah. uh, the monster, the fuck, I can't remember the name. It's something, it's something weird. Um, I don't know. But uh, you know, that, oh, metal corpses. That destroys their band completely. The guy has no idea what to do once his guitarist and his co-writer ODs and it's over with. And then, then that's how uh, the Stains... They're not called the Fabulous Stains, by the way. They're just the Stains. Um, I'm kind of weirded out that they could have, should have called themselves the Skunks. Did you feel that yeah. at all? Could... Yeah, but the Stains, she, uh, ha- they had that name from the very beginning of the movie like that was already established okay it just seems like I that mean, would have been maybe something. they could have changed it but when she first is on the being interviewed for the news or whatever she says you know that that's the name of their band so yeah um but then the stains jump in and that's when they take you know take uh, the the looters become the headliners and now the stains have become the support um, there is, you said the interview, that is a big part of this movie, is not only the intro and outro interview, but there's that mm-hmm. that thing that bounces in between the film where there's the two newscasters discussing the rise of the stains, and there's that condescending mustache man, yeah. and the lady who cannot get through to him, he's such a fucking asshole, even when he inter- uh, interviews her at the end, he's just yeah. a piece of shit, he doesn't let her talk whatsoever, he just scoffs at the whole thing that girls can have any sort of power or voice and that's really what this is about more than the runaways i think is about you can't ignore me anymore you know yeah i'm going to force this through you're going to pay attention whatever and you know that's why she does the things that she does you know dye her hair in a certain way she talks straight to the audience there's no fucking fear in her whereas her sister and her cousin they even bail on her in that first concert and she will not let it happen I, i was totally impressed yeah, it's just like I think because of her circumstances, she's so. I mean, she says you know that she's like too jaded for love, and it's too late for me, and all this stuff. Even though she's only fifteen, because of the things that she's experienced, she like doesn't have the the patience or the luxury to be afraid of life, or something. You know. Yeah. The. Uh... And the evolution of the band as actual artists in such a short period of time is amazing because that first concert, they can barely play. She I doesn't know. really sing. No. She kind of just, uh, not, it's not like beat poetry. I don't know what it is. She's just talking at you in one uh, monotone voice. And I thought that was interesting. Um, and then, of course, over the tour, you know, they, they start getting real songs and stuff like that. And... Um, I think the big part of this is that it's directed by Lou Adler. And now, Lou Adler was a music guy. Um, he had a big hit with Up and Smoke. Um, but he wasn't a director. That just happened to be something that he knew Cheech and Chong better than anybody else because he had been working with them from the beginning. He made them stars. Well, they worked together to make them stars. Um, and then he directed Up and Smoke, and it was huge. And was then, he like their manager or something? Yeah, How did he and, know and he, them better he, than anyone else. And he wrote, yeah, he 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 discovered them. He worked with them from the very beginning. Got them on all mm. their, uh, you know, he was a record producer. He wrote a lot of songs, and so they wanted to work with him on their first film because they didn't trust anybody else. Um, what was what was? Oh, did you know that this is I know Cheech and Chong 
were offered stripes, but because they didn't trust Ivan Reitman, they mm. wouldn't do it. They're like, we're making movies our way, which sadly destroyed their career. But Lou Adler was like one of the only guys that could steer them in the right direction. And I think he does mm. an amazing job on this. And this is the only other film that he did. He went back to music. Right. This technically didn't really get released. It was done test screenings. You're like, you know, those. You remember back in the day when it's like, buy, the, uh, go to see this movie, and you get to see a free movie after that. It was like on Saturdays. Yeah. It was that. Kind it, did, of. it did sneak previews, but it was never actually technically released. It only made twenty five thousand dollars. Twenty five thousand fucking dollars. That's a shock for a movie this mm-hmm. good, and. It was one of those later that constantly played on cable, and that's why it kind of became notorious over the years. I think I saw it on cable just randomly one day or something, because I've, I've, I've seen this movie before years ago, uh, just by chance, I think. Yeah, you knew about it when I found a copy when mm-hmm. uh, Hollywood, pic- uh, Hollywood, bleh, Hollywood Video was going out of business like a decade ago. Mm-hmm. Um and I, I didn't really pay attention the first time. This time I did, and I love this movie. I I understand now why Diane Lane became a star after this. Everybody wanted to work with her. It took Laura Dern, I think, a couple more years. But Diane Lane, I think, immediately after this got Outsiders, um, mm-hmm. Rumblefish, and then Streets of Fire. And sadly, none of those movies except for Outsiders did well. But she's still around today. Her name is above the title. <laughs> Thirty years yeah, later, forty years but later. Also, but also, I mean, I don't think any of those movies are. Well, I I haven't seen. I guess I haven't seen some of her movies around this time period. But like, I don't really think that she's made very many bad movies. No, but she made a lot of unsuccessful movies, and there was a yeah. while there where her career wasn't really going anywhere. Well, there was a period of what like mid early mid 90s where she was doing some making some interesting choices in her yeah, career well did you even know she was married to christopher lambert for a long time lambert oh i i've known that for, for okay i've known that for many 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 years but we're talking about a person who just last year was the headliner in let him go which is a phenomenal film and she's great in it i think that she's one of the like most talented most beautiful women that exist. Yeah, and this is a daring performance, and I really don't think she's ever phoned one in. Like, maybe it doesn't ask that much of her, but she still gives it her all. And uh, this movie yeah. base right here gives, you know, tells you <coughs> this me. is a star. Yeah, you know, I, I, I like the movie. I get what it's trying to do. I do think that it's clear that she is, you know, has star power. Uh, it's not like again, like the Runaways. I feel like it's a, it's a little bit depressing, though. Um, and also, I feel like there's a little bit of inconsistencies. Like the ending feels like a totally different movie. You know, the movie does seem like what it's supposed to do is end with her going back to her normal life. And maybe years down the road, she finds, you know, a way back into the music. But the the happy ending is that she has inspired other girls. Yeah. That's, that's a big thing in this movie. If you haven't seen this movie, um, 
almost immediately at her first performance, she starts inspiring people. They want to make their voices heard. The problem is, is they all want to be exactly like her. And yeah. that's a thing that the manager and the labels uh, sick, of, you know, just sick all the merchandising and charging for little skunk dolls. Yeah. And they ruined the mm -hmm. point. And Ray Winstone, who was the headliner until that day, all of a sudden is pushed back. And now they're the headliners. And he's jealous. And he goes on stage and they're booing him and give him shit. Like, oh, shut up, old man. Even though he's probably like 22. Um, yeah. And basically, he has it out with him. He's like, look, you're all being conned by the label. The problem is he drags them into it. They're just teenage girls. He shouldn't. And he, yeah. felt, and he felt bad about it, rightfully so. And he apologized. But you, the movie does seem like she was never meant, or she wasn't prepared yet to be a star. And they were going to make her take a step back. But she finds joy in the fact that she's inspired the next generation. Yeah. It, but they, she also didn't just inspire other girls, though. Like, she inspired, like, a, a lot of women. Because, like, I really liked the interview that they did with her aunt. Oh, right. With the, the Christine Lottie, who, oh, my God. Which was a really good scene. And just, you know, how she said, you know, I, I think her, you know, I'm proud of her. And I think her mom would be proud of her. And, you know, I, I wish that, you know, I was young and I could do that, too. You know, stuff like that. Like, so it wasn't just, like, young girls that were being inspired. It was lots of people who admired that she had a voice and that she was using it and that, she, you know, she was brave and was doing all this stuff. So... <laughs> I think that's kind of cool. Yeah, and it does feel like the ending is tacked on. Because, it, you're right, it doesn't I'm make sense. I'm pretty sure it was. So, what happened? Is, I mean, I'm trying to figure out how it is that she goes from her career's over, no one wants anything to do with her, the label has let her go, and all of a sudden, is it like a year later? And the well, band has it, reformed in a whole new image, like more of a new wave than a girl rock? I mean, they just don't say. I mean, it seems like... You know, it seems like it's been a few, it's a few years later, they're a little bit more comfortable in their own skin, a little bit, like, less angry, and they're also, like, recording someone else's song, which I guess happens all the time, but, I mean, that song, that professional song is not their song. Whose is it? It's the other band. The Ray Weinstein. What's Did Weinstein? they sing that in the movie and I didn't remember? Yeah. Oh, yes. Okay. Um, he, he sings it earlier in the movie. Okay, I must have missed She says, I like that song. Will you write down the lyrics for me? And I guess after then she gets angry at him, then that's her way of, um, you know, just like, striking it back at him by singing his song but like doing it better <laughs> and she turned it into a hit um yeah you know it's funny is if it's years down the road that that throws me off a little bit because that particular music style was only popular like from 81 to 84 at latest yeah. or what i think of um is uh the waitresses it's very uh, almost yes. monotone it's a i know what boys like i know what uh -huh. and it's kind of like that um but the it 
Lou Adler really had what was coming next on MTV to the T. It looks exactly like one of those videos. Yeah. Uh, that that sound and that was perfection. If it was within that, you know, the next year or two. What I understood, I think, from reading some of the facts or the trivia, you know, that it actually, I think, was filmed like two years later. Oh, okay. Yeah, it, it says here that it did revival showings in 85. This is just one of these movies that bounced around. It's so weird because back in the day, uh, unlike now, most movies have some sort of distribution set up pretty early on. They, they pre-sell the rights. Whereas back then, you made a movie... And sometimes it could just sit around forever or get sold to another company, get sent to cable. Um, and then, oh, it did well on cable. We'll put it back in theaters. That is crazy to me. And sometimes it wouldn't hit VHS for years. Um, yeah. Like, you know, Eddie and the Cruisers was barely uh. successful in the theaters. But then it went to HBO, and in, in one month, it was like their highest movie. It was like just another random movie we discovered on HBO or on video or something. Yeah. I don't know how. But then it was so successful that they took it off HBO after a month, and they put it back in theaters. And it's just wow. a, a wild era where now you get everything instantly everywhere. Video on demand, a month later it's on Netflix, you know, and, and a year later you get it for five bucks on Black Friday. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, I have mixed feelings about all that. Yeah, and now a $200 million movie comes out, people talk about it for a week on social media, and then it's fucking done. Whereas back in the yep. day, movies could grow. It could go, you know, build screens and word of mouth. Um, yeah, or there it was would be this number little one movie for months. that could. What's that? Called, there was this little movie that could called The Big Fat Greek Wedding. Exactly what I was that thinking shit don't have. That shit don't happen no more. No. <laughs> um... But yeah, I, I, of the two, what is what is which one did you prefer? Mm, I, if I was like, I probably re watch the Runaways a Same. little bit more often. Yeah, yeah. the music because, I, I kind of like a little bit better yeah. in the Fabulous Stains, but the Runaways is a better movie. The thing is, is like I get the point, but it's just most of her the time, like Corinne, is just so like bitchy and shitty that I kind of don't like her very much. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I understand, but it's, but she's also not terribly likable in my opinion. So, which is funny because if you think about how a lot of people get stereotyped, uh, that type, uh, typecasted, you think that she would spend the next decade playing like bitches, you know? Yeah. Uh, but no, she ends up playing like the sweet girl for the rest of her career, basically. Yeah. I did read in the facts that Jodie Foster was offered the role first, which would have been very interesting. Yeah. Also, just interesting that, I mean, most people know that Laura Dern's mom is Diane Ladd, right? I, I think. I'm assuming so, yeah. Hope so. Her mom didn't want to let her do the movie because it was on location, and she, she was... Laura Dern was probably, what, 14 or something? Yeah. I don't know. She sued for emancipation and won just so that she could do the movie. Oh, wow. Wait a minute. Wasn't just Laura Dern, wasn't her first performance in Foxes just to bring everything yes. back around? Wow, No, it, was, it wasn't her first. It wasn't her first movie, but it was one of her earlier movies. Okay. She, uh... I think that it was maybe like her third or something. Uh, third movie. It was... 
The first two movies, though, that she did, she was uncredited. So I technically, yeah, I guess you could say it was her first then. That's interesting. Um, anything else to say about these movies before we go? No, I don't think so. I just think, you know, it's it's they're both good movies, uh, good acting. And, you know, if you want, uh, you know, good stories about tough girls, I guess these are really good ones. But just know that there's these were made in the in the 80s or about the 80s and late 70s. So some of the content can be a little rough. Yeah, yeah. Not to say that like uh, it's bad, but there's definitely some uh, triggers for some people. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Okay, so check us out on Facebook under Hit Rewind Podcast. And Mindy, thank you very much. Thanks. Bye, everybody. <laughs>